0: You have accessed Entry 1455.PS11516, Certificate number 48059, the Zaire Space Program.
1: Come on, stand, nine, eight,
0: seven, six, five, four, three, engine start.
1: The hmm. futurelings, no doubt, know. I mean, for one thing, congratulations—you've gotten almost to the end of the omnibus. You, you if you're listening alphabetically,
0: that's right. You, Although you've oh. made
1: it all the way to the Zaire space program,
0: all of the Zizik's uh, topics are much later.
1: This is not our last show that even that we've recorded yet, I believe. Isn't there another Z show? I'm looking right now, and I can't find it. Zamboni's the Zider
0: done? Z. Oh, the Zider Z. Right. I
1: knew there was one. But you know, you've got. You know, it's not over yet. But you know,
0: I'm going to do zambonis now that I said it.
1: Uh, zambonis and Zebrafish are coming up, but uh, definitely we're kind of at the downward falling action if there is a narrative arc of
0: this thing. You know, I now I'm now it feels like a challenge. Now I'm going to try and do as do many last. as many z episodes as I possibly can. I
1: just want the first entry. Like when you listen to this thing, I don't want. I don't want. Um, I don't want you to hear John first.
0: Have we done art no. Well, what, what's... what Do I have... Do I, Right now, do I have the first entry? <laughs> I it, alphabetically?
1: I don't, I don't even know. Let me see. Hold on. There's no good way to do this. I'm going to do aardvarks, too. Uh, Albanian bunkers, apparently. Hey, there I am again. You're everywhere. From A to Z. Uh, the other thing about our day that a future listener will know, besides that we um, took a while to get Desire Space Program, is mm. that we are... Uh, Uh, Not an uh, uh, interplanetary species at this point. We know you are. Right. Congratulations. Good job with the uh, Mars-domed cities and the floating Venusian uh, 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 Bespins. Good job with your Bespins.
0: But as far as contemporaneously with with our lifespan... Here in the year of our Lord, 2021... We are not yet interplanetary. uh, Where we want desperately to be. Adam Savage has said many times... He would he would take a one man mission to Mars if he offered it to him. Yeah, I feel like Jamie would uh, would put him on a, a one way trip to Mars <laughs> as well. But my friend David Reese uh, has said also that he would take a one man one way trip, and I think Jonathan Colton also said. And and it <laughs> feels is, like this is not
1: a representative sample. It just turns out you have the, really you have really misanthropic futurist
0: friends. Well, you know, a couple of those guys have families and kids, but it does. What feel do you think Christine like, would
1: think about? Him saying, "Yeah, I'd leave you all in a heartbeat for the Red Planet." I wonder if she wouldn't also be in favor of it. <laughs> there are a lot of perks too. it. I gotta say, my marriage has been going great in an LA hotel room.
0: Yeah, right. But yeah. you're the only one in the LA hotel room. Is that's that right? that's
1: the secret. That's the <laughs> that's gonna be the secret of my marriage book.
0: Right on. Uh, maybe I should have maybe I should have thought about marriage more more carefully if I knew you could. One of the partners could be in an L.A. Just, hotel just room. Just
1: marry some Ukrainian uh, catalog person and then just leave her in Ukraine.
0: Sound of typing.
1: <laughs> like, you don't have to bring her over. I mean, she would prefer it probably, presumably. Mm. Maybe she's just in it for the, for the love of the... Of the uh, for the love of
0: the game? Of the, of the love of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably if I married her and then sent checks back to the Ukraine, that would be fine with almost any Ukrainian bride.
1: We are in a bit of a trough space-wise, in fact. Like, you'd think you know for for a, a century we just assumed we would be ramping upward toward conquest of space. Oh, God,
0: I'm so bummed and I, I I know you are bummed too. Every day when I wake up uh, I feel I feel good program. for
1: a second and then I remember we haven't been to the moon in in
0: 52 years, and, and I, my heart just sinks. We got so off track there in the 1970s, and I understand, I understand why. There was a, you know, there was a pretty powerful social pushback. We had inflation to whip. Yeah, we sure did, and we had to do it now. That was the best time to whip inflation. <laughs> but also, yeah, right, all those things. Like, uh, it just seemed like we spent so much money in the 60s, and there was so much, you know, gung-ho daring-do. We got to the moon, and now what? And after that, it just sort of, I don't know. The space shuttle could have been... You remember the space shuttle, the the Pan Am space shuttle in the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey.
1: The space shuttle should have been cool. It should have looked like the Concorde. And they tried to market it as a toy and it just looked like a a bus because it it was. It looked like a bus. And maybe it was the wrong idea. A dump truck. Like, is that really that exciting that you can reuse uh, 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 fuel tanks and
0: boosters? Yay. No, No, it was a terrible idea. They should have built a moon base. That should have been the next thing. Moon base and then mining camp. Right, because that's what gets that's what gets kids into yes. science fiction. Well, listen, you know, what Prospecting. Gets, if you know what gets kids into science fiction, it's trade wars.
1: Yes, exactly. Kids today prefer the prequels that's because right. they love trade routes. They do, and the complications thereof.
0: Trade federations. That's right.
1: And you like it when the, maybe the people on those trade routes have maybe you know pretty racist accents.
0: It's a, if if they can be weirdly Asian seeming. Yeah, and
1: then you want a Middle Eastern underclass and a Jamaican con- c- comedic class. Yeah, Jamaicans that live it's, under the ocean. It's all very important.
0: Boy, terrible, terrible, terrible
1: movies. Uh, the um, but it, you know, in our day, the the light at the end of the tunnel is that our billionaires
0: will save us. Oh, I think this I, uh, this is what makes me wake up every morning with a giant smile on my face. Thank God for the billionaires.
1: they they're, they're um, once again, they're doing their part.
0: That's why we can't tax the rich.
1: Carnegie built us libraries. Thank you. And thank you for your service. And Elon is going to build us uh, um, space elevators. Podcast studios
0: on Mars. Yes. And what happened to space elevators? Yeah. What about those those ribbons that were gonna hang down from space and we were gonna just be able to send shipping containers one after the other? It'd be so easy. Yeah, it seems like it was all it was all you know what it is, it's all Kevlar. We need to improve the tensile strength of Kevlar. I think that's the one thing holding us back. See, this is what I wake up every morning thinking about. Why don't we have more tensile strength? I just thought it was, um,
1: you know, you're going to have planes having to veer around all the space elevators. What a hassle.
0: Oh, interesting. Of
1: course. every time they show people flying in future cities in, you know, Blade Runner or Back to the Future 2, it seems extremely dangerous. (laughs)
0: Right?
1: (laughs) Like all the flying cars in Back to the Future, I'm just like, there is an accident every 90 seconds on this thing. You can tell.
0: Well, you know, I believe that the cars will have, you know, there's enough processing power that they'll be able to stay out of each other's way. What's interesting about all the realistic science fiction movies is the cars are never more than about 600 feet above the ground, which seems like kind of, I, I mean, kind of technologically reasonable, but also not very, uh, not very, um, well, not only not very safe, but not, it's like, what You don't need a a floating car to get you from one end of town to the other. You need floating cars to get you between here and San Francisco. I guess those are called airplanes.
1: You're saying these people in these movies like Deckard should just take the bus.
0: Well, yeah, but I guess it's, I guess the, the, um, the fascination with people making science fiction movies in the eighties was with traffic gridlock. That's what they were trying to solve. And I guess that's what we're trying to solve now with floating cars, right? Gridlock. If you're rich, you should be able to get downtown to your office Building faster than the pores, Right. It's,
1: it's, it's seeing the helicopters that
0: actual millionaires have today and
1: extrapolating. But nobody's going to work downtown in 25 years. That's what they didn't think. What if, uh, what if like those people had just called an Uber? Like Decker doesn't have a flying car, but he has like a, a little
0: screen in his pocket that calls an Uber. Nobody would have believed it. It's, it's too outlandish. Exactly. Flying but, cars are more reasonable. We,
1: uh, have you been reading, um. I mean, speaking of the 70s, people are filling. No, I haven't
0: been reading. It's the it's 2020s, <laughs> what are you talking about? People have, people have
1: been filling uh, uh, plastic bags with gasoline. So this is, not oh? a, this is not a good sign for the space program. Just now? Recently? Yeah, oh, yeah, today. Why are people
0: filling plastic bags with gasoline? The pipeline that got hacked. We're recording this in late May. Oh, see, I'm not on the internet, so I don't know what's happening. A You'd... pipeline. Oh, the pipeline got hacked. I did see that. And so people are feeling are plastic. people are panic buying gas, and the oh. the, the U.S. consume
1: the consumer agencies are actually having to to like, tweet and announce, please do not fill plastic bags with gasoline.
0: What's fascinating about gasoline? So it's like
1: more, uh, it's like a more apocalyptic or dystopian vision of, of
0: 1970s. Can you imagine people hoarding gasoline? <laughs> I love it. Ah, oh, they're all gonna set themselves on fire. Oil is one of those commodities where the actual the actual tr- oil that we're using today was the was traded many many months ago. The price of the oil that we're using at the pump today was established months and months and months, it's and like, months it's ago. It's like it's
1: like looking at Alpha Centauri.
0: But the people selling oil, gas companies, right. oil companies are more than happy to. <laughs> it's weird that now it's four fifty. <laughs> just just throw that price right into the right into the mix master.
1: Anyway, so that does not look good for. Uh- our, our rosy future in space, except, again, for the billionaires.
0: You're right, the billionaires.
1: But I've noticed, uh, I've seen like a couple interviews recently where Elon Musk has been, Elon Musk, uh, Bill, uh, Jeff Bezos, the late Paul Allen, all billionaires
0: who have, these their, are, uh, who have for, their
1: eyes on the solar system.
0: For the future links, these are the heroes of the uh, of the human race. Kids love them, yep.
1: uh, collect training cards. When they go on Joe Rogan, they, they put it on, on the big screen in Times Square. Yes. Uh, everyone loves these guys and they have all seen the writing on the wall. And instead of turning their, uh, you know, uh, eight figure, eight figure, nine, 18 figure, figure net worths on,
0: uh, eradicating, uh, the Zika virus
1: or fixing global warming or whatever. They have essentially told everyone, Hey, we've given up
0: on earth. Right. Um,
1: this is this is for you guys to grind into the ground. I'm going to be elsewhere.
0: Now let me ask you, me, Ken me Jennings. Me and all my rich friends. Ken, as a as <clears throat> as a fellow rich utopian, I'm not. Why am I a rich utopian? Well, you're rich and you're
1: a utopian. I want to say eleven digits, probably. I'm. I'm uh, I'm rethinking it?
0: my uh, eleven digits? multi-billionaire. Um, what are they hoping to get out of space? They aren't mining any of these planets yet, and without mining them, what the heck benefit is it? This is the, this is the old, um, this is the, the argument against going to space from the early 1970s. They would all say it's adventure. This is the Richie Havens argument against going to space.
1: They would all say it's adventure. Adventure. I think. But the thing is, even, uh, even, uh, even when you. And vision. It's vision. I see. Like this is the next, this is the next frontier or frontier, frontier as Captain Kirk would say.
0: But the the uh, the Europeans that set out across the ocean in the uh, in the fifteenth century, they were looking to go mine things. Uh, it seems like that's the real the real human desire is to get gold and platinum. Out so of
1: I think the uh, unspoken goal
0: is escape. Oh, escape, escape pod. But there's no You're better all... place to live than here.
1: Uh, for now, I. I but I, what I... if I could make? What if I'm. Jeff Bezos and I can make uh Taus on Mars for me and all my friends. And then it doesn't matter if the glaciers melt or the bomb goes off, which I mean they've done the math and they're like, well, this is inevitable at this point. There's gonna be there's gonna be a, a plague or nanotech or something, meteor strike. We need a backup plan. And who has the means to make sure they're part of the backup plan? Oh, me. Jeff Bezos.
0: Mars is no kind of place to raise your kids.
1: I, I assumed that... Uh, yeah, and Elon's got like eight
0: kids. He's got I, a nanny. I thought that... Mars is a great place for your nanny to raise your kids. Billionaires were all going to protect themselves by moving to bunkers in New Zealand, I thought. New Zealand is the Mars of the, of the it's world. It's the Mars of the 50s. Oh. That's like uh, on the
1: beach, everyone's like, hey, the, the fallout's coming to Australia last. Pretty sweet. <laughs> but now we're like, no. Whatever happens will be global. Eventually, it'll get to my polar bunker.
0: Um, I need to be thinking bigger. I saw that Matt Damon movie. I have zero interest in going to Mars. Yeah, I would go to the moon for like a weekend.
1: I go to Mars for a weekend. The problem is, it would take like eight months to, for your for your getaway. I
0: see. Right. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. So, so this is this is the future now. Private space enterprises. Um, like, and and it, it kind of matches with our new idea that uh, our new post Reagan idea that government's crap. Basically, yeah. the government just messes stuff up. Ugh. It doesn't matter whether it's you, you hate the IRS or you hate um, sure. the Bureau of Land Management,
0: darn old government, or
1: you hate um, the Clinton's killing Vince Foster, yeah. what, whatever you hate about government,
0: welfare moms, oh, man, I hate them. Ugh. Uh, we don't. When really, is, when don't is really Elon Musk going to do something about the all the welfare moms?
1: It's kind of the same uh, impulse,
0: I think. He, we are uh, being sardonic, by the way, to those of you with with no calibration, with no ability to calibrate vo- uh, vocal inflection. For those inflection. of you who just
1: read me saying I hate welfare moms <laughs> on Omnibus <laughs> out of context, let me just say, no, there. Those are are brave people facing challenges I've never even had to right. think about. Right, uh,
0: it's a it's a uh, it's a straw man. It's a it's a boogeyman. It's a
1: Reagan era, Lee Atwater era boogeyman. But, 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 uh, you know, we don't trust government to do this stuff anymore.
0: I, I, frankly, I do. But yes, you're right. I don't.
1: Sorry, a, a big no. swath of people, we don't, especially these these people with the illusion that they're self-made men yes. who can do anything are like, well, you know, I don't trust NASA anymore. Uh, you know, the future is going to be—and, uh, uh, you know, as we've always said, NASA's not always been the best at branding.
0: No, NASA's kind of a—I know we have a lot of listeners, a lot of futurelings do work for NASA. We hear from them all the time. Love NASA. So in that sense, you know, big high five, attaboys boys. Not just girls.
1: nostalgia for me either, although that's a huge part of NASA's appeal is, is uh, tall white men in Corvettes. Yeah. But— I love it all. I love the uh, the 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 multicultural people landing us on Mars too. They a, weren't in, in tall little,
0: astronauts. Little, they had to fit in those little those little tanks. In those little corvettes. Yeah, little little corvettes.
1: What's the height requirement for a for a, a Mercury or Apollo?
0: They were, uh, you know, they were Navy pilots, and those people aren't very tall either. Um, e,
1: Are you uh, saying if if I meet an astronaut, he's going to be like my height, five ten and a half or shorter?
0: Average height of Mercury. Astronaut. I mean, Buzz Aldrin is 108, and so he's probably lost an inch. Uh, because of the small space inside the Mercury spacecraft, candidates could be no taller than 5'11 and weigh no more than 180 pounds. Buzz Aldrin is uh, my height. Look at that. Uh, well, that's uh, nice. Yeah. That so, I might be able to
1: beat up an astronaut.
0: So it says- Living uh, the dream. The average height- of an astronaut is between 62 and 75 <laughs> inches.
1: So I looked at Buzz Aldrin's height and Google helpfully says people also search for Neil Armstrong, 5'11", Michael Collins, 5'11", Hank Azaria, six foot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hank Azaria.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out. Was he, uh, Harry Shearer in the right stuff, but Hank Azaria is not. What is the connection between Hank Azaria and astronauts? Um, is it because he's named Hank, the most astronaut name?
0: <laughs> the last Hank.
1: Uh, the shortest
0: astronaut was Peggy Whitson, who was, I think, five feet tall. And she was on the, uh, she was on, oh, she was the first female commander of the space station.
1: Did you know there is one
0: Vostok cosmonaut still alive? What, really? Yes. Wow. Are they like 95? I bet the, I bet their chest is adorned with so many... Flashy metal.
1: I was hoping I could get you on the pronoun, but you kept saying they. It is Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space. Well done. 5'5". Valentina. And, uh, and only 88, because she was like, you know, she was like four and a half when they put her in space. She was like Webster. <laughs> um, Why are we talking about that? Right. Because... Astronauts are in the corona. Oh, no. but I know, but I, but I still like like NASA's NASA's new albums are great.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's all right. They just had a weird Christian pa- period in the seventies. Pathfinder the and
1: perseverance. I mean, the names are too long. Sojourner. The names are all like ten letters. But, uh, but great little rovers.
0: Why did they stop naming, the, naming them after Greek gods? We could have had the Daphne program. We could have had the Eos or the ISIS program.
1: Well, Sojourner is explicitly uh, multicultural, which is something that will come up in this episode. They they asked them, it named after Sojourner Truth? Kind of. They asked American school children to submit essays about, you know, which famous woman would you name the probe after? And so, you oh, know. Wait a minute. <laughs> the, the, Mars, <laughs> the Mars mission. Sorry. After. And they got a lot of, you know, this would be the Sally Ride or this would be yeah. the... and But Sojourner is just sitting right there because it means,
0: right. you know... Traveler. Uh,
1: traveler, wanderer, um, and it's Sojourner Truth. So Even you know, better. So that's kind of a big step away from kind of these classical masculine uh, Greek, you know, Apollo...
0: Yeah, but Mercury, Minerva. They're, they're all male. Think about Minerva. What a great, what a great uh... I feel like in
1: sci-fi it's often Artemis, because it's like the oh, right, right, right. you know Apollo. It shouldn't have been Apollo anyway. Apollo's a sun god. It always should have been Artemis. But oh. I don't know if we ever actually used a goddess for any of these
0: things, did no, we? No, unlikely.
1: Gemini, two dudes. That's that's twice the <laughs> twice the toxic the toxic masculinity.
0: Gemini, as as uh, as space fans would would call it.
1: I have your word for that and nobody else's. But the history of, of private—so we trust private space because, you know, Google and Amazon, they're really good at branding, you know? And NASA has had periods of not being great at persuading America of their importance or their mission. And, uh, and the space shuttle looks like a bus, and they kept blowing up.
0: How do you feel about the, like, sub—or, you know, the atmos- high-atmosphere balloons that are bringing Wi-Fi to, uh, to Africa? The the big balloons. Uh, what's the right take to have on them? I'm for them if they're good. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, do you believe that the world needs more internet? Oh, absolutely. Yeah that that was that's a thing that I think we're just beginning to question now. Whether I mean, I'm personally in favor of less internet, but um, I don't
1: like it when Coke bottles fall off of them because it leads to hijinks. Right, right. Lots Africa. of hijinks. Yeah, they really shouldn't even put Coke bottles on those balloons. <laughs> When they, when they launched them. Why, are they Why do there? they? What
0: are they doing? Why are they even there? No, don't let people drink Coke in, in space balloons. We keep
1: dancing around the idea of space in Africa. Let's get, let's get to it. Okay. Because let's stop dancing. The Bezos-Allen-Musk uh, uh, era of... That's what I called The Bezos-Allen-Musk. Yeah, That's the Be- good. The BAM era. You know, they do my taxes. BAM. Um, it doesn't sound like a law firm because it has Musk in it. Yeah. Bezos Alan Musk sounds like something that your internet startup smells like. There's a very powerful Bezos Alan Musk in here. We need to go mm. uh we need to fumigate the foosball table.
0: You've been to Blue
1: Origins, haven't you? No. You're thinking of you. Oh, that's right. I've been to
0: Blue Origins.
1: Classic, <laughs> classic John Way to tell a story.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs>
1: you played uh you played Sasquatch,
0: didn't you? No, no, but why don't you tell us about when you did? <laughs> Well, let's go on. We'll get back to Blue Origins. No, you can talk about Blue Origins. No, no, no. I have zero interest in talking about Blue Origins. You, no, that's not true. You've
1: seen the future of privatized space up close. Do you believe in it?
0: I have. I've seen the. I've seen. I've. been, I've been inside the capsule. Although it wasn't. Did they, it didn't have seats in it. Was it yet. like Space Camp? Did it
1: take off while you were like <laughs> actively take off while you were in there?
0: No, but you know they have a giant factory and it's a it's a true factory. They're building rocket engines. They're making uh, they're making rockets and. Um, and they're doing the whole they're doing all the whole nine like they've got USB, they've got cup holders. It seems weird to have a non-governmental a- entity.
1: But is that just because I'm a I'm a I'm a Gen Xer or is it be, or is there something weird about about uh
0: Private enterprise in space. Well, you know what about that guy that built a rocket so he could fly up and make and and prove that the world was flat? <laughs> a rocket with a lawn chair. I mean, he's building. People have been building rockets in their backyards all, ever since Goddard.
1: You're saying the Montgolfier brothers built, you know, sending up a sheep in a in a hot air balloon over Paris. This is
0: just the spiritual descendant of that. You can't keep mankind on the earth. Well, no. I wonder is. Is the fact that we think of the space program as a as a uh, like a statist enterprise? It's just a Cold War side effect. And it's an accident, <laughs> or or you know, or a mid century uh, a mid century yeah, right, or a, a, like a World War II fallout situation. You know, fallout maybe being the wrong choice of words, but but if consequence consequence if it hadn't been for World War II and if it hadn't been for the kind of uh, Rooseveltian. Mega government idea of how we, how we, or Eisenhowerian sort of. You know, build the highways. Sense of what government does. Maybe it would have been a private enterprise all along. It would have been, I, I, NASA would be in White Plains, New York. I know our libertarian listeners are jumping for joy that I'm making this <laughs> argument. I'm not sure I believe it, but it's interesting. All we needed was some Ayn Randian <laughs> hero in the
1: '50s, <laughs> like standing astride a big Saturn rocket, like Howard Rourke. Yeah, that's right. Um, getting
0: ready to um, uh, boink Patricia Neal's brains out. It does feel like you could not have had a. You could not have had the. Um, the Apollo program, that, 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 that accomplishment was so great. No industrialist, you know, the, the Ford Motor Company couldn't have accomplished
1: it. So, the line here is that the, the US had to do it because the Soviets were doing a governmental entity, which means it's communist the idea that uh, yes. the private billionaires should
0: not be in space. I want, but it's Marxist Leninist. They're never, well, wait a minute. I mean, the Mercury program, those rockets were, you could have built a Mercury rocket. If you were General Motors, if you were Tom Swift, don't you think? Couldn't have, couldn't General Motors if they'd had if there had been a mining concession, they could have built a Mercury Rock, but they couldn't have gotten to the moon. So mining is straight out. They right. could have. They could have mined. Uh, I like how everything's mining. To you. Like well, yeah.
1: Your flow chart of the future is, and what are they mining? And if the if the answer is nothing, then, you're like, p-
0: well, what's the point?
1: But, you know, but they met. But they met the Vulcans. You're like, yeah, but. But what but what was, were was they the, mining?
0: But was their bauxite? What were the Balkans mining? Was there bauxite? We need rare earths. <laughs> and and in you go to get... Star
1: Trek movies, and you are like, "There is no vanadium here." <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell cares? <laughs> uh, the uh, I mean, but there is a parallel universe where. Um, oh boy, are we getting into parallel universes? <laughs> there is a there is a possible way the twentieth century could have gone where right. uh, private space exploration started much earlier, and in fact. In Sub-Saharan Africa. So let's introduce uh, the protagonist, I don't want to say hero, of, uh, of this entry, Lutz uh, Tilo Kaiser. He's German and his name is Kaiser. Yeah. Which is a little bit on the
0: nose. Well, as soon as you said Lutz, I was like, the Zaire space program.
1: The Zaire space program is run by Bavarians, as you would expect of any kind of weird mad science endeavor.
0: Right, although the Germans that ran the mad science stuff were all—they uh, were all from Hamburg, I thought.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. So we got the hamburger hamburgers,
0: <laughs> right? And they got the Bavarians. hamburger
1: hamburger bang bang, <laughs> which was the motto of uh, of Operation Paperclip. And uh, the Bavarians were left for the developing world. That's exactly what happened. You know, a lot of those Nazi rocket scientists came over to America after the war. Um, Kaiser was a little younger. Uh, he grew up in the. In the debris of World War II, actually, literally playing with uh, rockets, parts. rocket parts, yeah, wow. Wow. That, that had uh, you know that had fallen on on Berlin or whatever, and he was so it was in his blood, and as a result, it, uh, he apparently became a fan. He wrote uh-huh. fan letters to Werner von Braun uh-huh. as a young man. Um, I guess you know those weren't von Braun's rockets that that took out Germany. No. So he's not not admiring von Braun's work. He would have had to go to London for that.
0: It might have been finding like bomb fins and stuff. I'm not sure how many rockets were launched against Bavaria. Right. Um, When I was a kid uh, up in Alaska. Explosive debris. I spoke explosive debris. When I was a kid in Alaska, there was a, one of our neighbors had a bomb, a full bomb. It was a dud in their living room and they claimed to have dug it out of the creek that ran behind our neighborhood housing complex because in World War II— It was World War II era? It, yeah. It was, <clears throat> they were using the creek as a as a training, you know, a bomb run training site.
1: Was it unexploded? Like, did somebody have to get called in to— No, it was a, it was like a practice bomb, oh, okay.
0: but it looked like a bomb.
1: Uh, Kaiser loved the idea of explosives from a very young age. They and do. he asked Von Brown, like, how do I become— an astronaut. And Von Braun actually wrote back to this young German kid, maybe he saw a little bit of him in that mm-hmm. kid, and said, uh, look, you want to be an engineer, rockets. Rockets, that's the that's the future. You know, you want to you want to you know, you you're you're not going to be in the capsule, but you could be a scientist. And Kaiser took that to heart, and uh by 1975, he and um some fellow scientists and investors and engineers including Von Braun on board as a, you know, probably in name only consultant. Have founded in Stuttgart an outfit called OTRAG, O T R A G, uh, the world's first private space enterprise, um, you know, 40 years before Blue Origin or SpaceX or uh, I forgot one. What's the third one?
0: Um, um, the experience Rocket Project? Moonsoft.
1: Yeah, the, whatever the third one is. But this one had the not catchy name. They hadn't discovered that branding was going to be a big part of it privatization of space. OTRAG is just Orbital Transport und Raketen AG, which Mm -hmm. which is, you know, incorporated. Right. Aktien Gesellschaft. And their operating principle was, um, you know, Germany had kind of gotten out of the space program. The The, rocket business. Well, Germany, (laughs) that'll come into the story. Germany had joined the European Space Agency and so there wasn't any government money for space research now because there was this kind of pan-European thing that was coming together to challenge. Because right now, at the, at the moment, in the 70s, all space exploration was either running out of NASA or Moscow. And the European Space Agency had cut. you know, uh, Europe had decided we need to come together if we're going to play in this field at this level. Um, but uh, there wasn't any... You know, now there wasn't any cash for private endeavors. So Otrag had to be like the bargain option. Like uh-huh. like the the space IKEA or the space marshals or something. You know, mm-hmm. they were like not high tech,
0: but low cost. When you say marshals, you mean the, the uh, discount department store and not the sheriffs. Yes. Or I, or I, the plan. I don't want them to be the space sheriffs.
1: <laughs> no, they would never have been the marshals. Uh, they, uh, so they did everything on the tightest possible shoestring budget, you know, instead of the aluminum alloys that the big boys were using, they said, all our rockets are going to be just stainless steel. Mm. Um, you know, and today it would be something even lighter, be some carbon allotrope (laughs) or something. Uh, you know, they would, if they needed a fuel injection system, you know, their first thought was carburetors, (laughs) even worse windshield wiper motor from a Volkswagen.
0: Wow, like they're that, really doing it.
1: Yeah, th- this is going to be backyard, let's put on a show, space stuff. And, and they, were, they were proud of this. They were like, this is going to be the future. We, if we do this in a, an efficient assembly line way, like space will be cheap and therefore you know, that'll advance the science.
0: You can use pump gas. <laughs>
1: right. Well, they actually used kerosene. Oh, sure. Their rocket fuel was literal lamp kerosene. And their, their whole idea was um, that it would be kind of a component system like Lego. You know that they, you know, they'd build a bunch of small little fuel tanks and boosters and all the other components you need, and then for whatever the the launch or the mission was, they would combine uh, a bunch of their assembly line interchangeable components and and produce the system you needed. Um, this has not been tried before or
0: since possibly because it's a terrible idea. Um, you know, jet fuel is kerosene. I mean, we use kerosene now as. As jet fuel. Not
1: like, this is not any kind of fancy refined kerosene. This oh. was like hardware store um, stuff you put in your camping lamp in 1975.
0: Waxy kerosene.
1: Yeah. So it was like, I mean, it's, it you know, it's going to burn.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ooh, but, yeah. But
1: they're not spending a lot of money on what's the, you know, what has the best propulsion like NASA is. You know, there's no super cooled gases or anything like that.
0: I, I almost feel like I would rather ride a rocket like this because you understand the parts. Yeah, just because you know you're strapping yourself onto a thing that might explode, which is which feels like uh more adventure.
1: I do think that when I drive and I realize I, you know, I can no longer fix even the simplest thing in this car because it's all electronic now. Yeah. You know, somebody's, you know, there's a micro there's a microprocessor involved in almost anything I would want to do here except maybe change the oil. I'm, like even the interface of my wife's Volvo, I realize like yesterday, I wanted to um, make it so the radio station would tell you, it would show the subcarrier so you know what song is playing. You know how the stations yeah. have the little thing now? Yeah. And uh, it was like a Android phone. It was like eight screens deep. And <laughs> like I was like, you know what? Like, I'd never had this problem with a car radio on my Dodge, you know? I'm driving a Ford now. and Congratulations. Um, this is our first show where you're a- uh,
0: pr- Proud Ford owner. An owner of a car that was from this century. But um the emergency brake uh when I put on the emergency brake it's no longer mechanical I push a yes. button and the and I hear the emergency brake go zzzzt, and it's like I don't think that that was a I don't think that was a thing that needed to be electrified
1: I was I was renting a Nissan last week in LA which still had one of the push brakes where you go click 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 cuz Nissan still have those Yeah and all week, whether I've been driving my car or my wife's car, I am still have phantom limb pain of trying to push the actual parking brake. And then there's nothing there, and I'm like, oh, right. I have to flip a little thing on the center console, which goes ping, and that means the parking brake is safe. It doesn't somehow.
0: It doesn't instill a ton of confidence in me. Do
1: you know how the Volvo starts now? It's got like a twist thing, like bop it. <laughs> bop it. Like it Suck it, it. It is literally an interface that exists nowhere on earth except for bop it, but it really is like, hey, you know what? Everybody's got push button now. What seems futuristic? What can we do? And so, yeah, once again, we've been, Hmm. unlike OTRAG, where we keep getting abstracted away from what's actually happening under the hood. So you would like to ride one of these Lego rockets, Lego Ikea rockets.
0: No, but it does feel like something that I would have built or tried to build. It feels like something I would have absolutely ridden when I was twenty. That's not what I
1: want in a rocket, is something that, like... Uh, a musician could build in their backyard. <laughs> that
0: I might've built. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, it does remind me of a lot of those like sci-fi books I read as kid of kids where little kids could just build
0: backyard rockets. And go to the moon. We didn't understand how gravity worked then. Not that we do now, but uh, we had made When I
1: read the wonderful flight to the mushroom planet, when I was like eight, I was like, how come I don't have a sea captain grandpa who can give me like, like cool um, curved hull pieces. Cause that, if, I could just put it on a wooden scaffolding and I'd be on the mushroom planet right away. Right. Like David and Chuck. But um, but this guy actually tried it. My man here, uh, Lutz T- Tilo Kaiser, actually out here building Ikea rockets out of stainless steel. Mm-hmm. The problem is they needed a test site.
0: And mm-hmm. as you may... Bien-imud. The reason why we... What's that? Bien-imud, uh which was the the German... Uh, and I, I'm not sure that I pronounced that correctly, but... Where um, was Pienemund, Uh That's the German uh, on the North Sea, the German rocket launching site.
1: Oh, for like if you want to hit for, for London, the, yeah, or for Manchester? the V
0: two rocket.
1: Well, there's a reason why you don't want to launch space rockets from there. Do you know why NASA launches from Florida and the
0: Russia launches from
1: Kazakhstan?
0: Is it the the warm weather makes the air thinner? Yeah, you can take the roof off your Corvette.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, it's just clear clear skies. Uh, it's, uh, the closer to the equator you are, the faster the earth is rotating. Oh, sure. And therefore, I mean, that's one thing you, you gotta, you gotta give the equator. Centrifugal force. rotating faster than we are. Or centripetal force. Which is it? Each Uh, force? Uh, centrifugal is illusory and feels like it's pushing you outward. Yeah, it's, yeah, it would be centripetal. But yeah, you, um, it's easier to get to escape velocity because- the Earth is pushing you at a faster speed there than it is at at uh, at Stuttgardian latitudes.
0: But Cape Canaveral, I mean, they could have gone down the United States at that point in time. Could have gone down and colonized Ecuador, right? It wouldn't have been that much harder. Kind of surprised they didn't. Yeah, I wonder. Uh,
1: I haven't done the math. I wonder how much better it is. Like, I wonder if you get most of the bump just from just from getting to Florida.
0: Or like build a space station in it or space pla- uh, rocket launch place in American Samoa or something. It just, uh, I'm surprised that Well, Florida. the European Space Agency, I think
1: uses French Guiana for that reason. Right. Well, I mean, and also the fact that they haven't given it back. <laughs> hey, they, 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 look, they look at a map and they're like, what didn't we give back? Yeah. Bingo. Curaçao. Right here. Um, so they need some place equatorial. And in 1974, Don King enters the story. No, he does not. <laughs> Yes, he does.
0: Is this this is right after the rumble in the jungle, right? In Zaire? That's what happens. So, um, you know, Congo got its... Inter- the, Wait, did I get that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. There's a rumble
1: in the jungle connection. There's a Muhammad connection. Ali connection. Here, oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the 1950s, when the Democratic Republic of the Congo received its independence from Belgium, you know, it was run by... Thank God. Democratically, yo.
0: I still celebrate that every day. What, which, or every and, year. And,
1: which, and which day of the year do you celebrate uh, Congo's uh, Independence Day on? I picked, oh, picked. August 4th. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that day just conveys yeah. Patrice Lumumba to you. Yeah. So, the democratically elected um, kind of nationalist, you know, the father of the Congo is Patrice Lumumba. But in 1961, he is overthrown by um, Joseph Desiree Mobutu.
0: Ah, uh, good old Mobutu. The name comes into play. Yes,
1: uh, he will change. He will Africanize his name to Mobutu Sese Seko, getting rid of the French colonial part. Right, and he will rebrand the Congo as
0: Zaire, Zaire. Uh,
1: an, an African place for Africans. Which is funny because you know Congo was the original name of the tribe there. Zaire is a Portuguese word, <laughs> <laughs> but at least it does come from Unzera, the local the local word for river, which is what they call. You know, they called the Congo River the Unzero Congo. The you know, the river that flows by the Congo people. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of legit.
0: So it's Portuguese for river.
1: Well, it's Portuguese for
0: that particular river. The name of that river. Yeah, it's
1: Portuguese for the Congo River, which comes from Nzera, which just means, you know, all rivers just are the local name for river because, you know, if you're a tribe living next to the Missouri River, that's the river. It's pretty good.
0: Right. Columbia River is not named after the local word
1: for river. I'm sure the native word is. Columbia? You think this, the, you think whatever the coastal <clears throat> tribes called it, well, you think they called it the Columbia?
0: No, they absolutely didn't call it the That's Columbia. That's what I'm saying. I see.
1: Their name would have been the equivalent of a zero. something else, right? They just would have called it
0: river the Big River. Or Big River. Yeah.
1: Because yeah. they, they didn't know there were bigger rivers. That
0: was the biggest river. I, and it's I, a pretty good one. I'm not even sure there are bigger rivers. <laughs>
1: you're, you're, you're a flat. You <laughs> Prove be, it. Build a lawn chair to go into space so that you can see if there's a bigger river than the Columbia. Um, Mobutu it runs a terrible, corrupt kleptocracy for decades. Mobutu installed himself in 1961? I believe so, yeah. Wow. Now I'm going to check the date, and I'm going to do it without stopping tape, just so that people know that I'm not, like—yeah, no, he overthrew the government in 1960. In 61, he executes Lumumba. Um, and, uh, he kind of runs a weird kind of, you know, kind of maybe the, um, the North Korean game of, you know, I'm the little fish. I got to play everybody off against each other. So, you know, this guy's, um, this guy's Pan-African, but, uh, you know, the, the communists, the Russians are next door in Angola. Right. And he wants, you know, he doesn't want to cut off ties with the West. So he's anti-Soviet, you know, he's getting, he's getting strong support from the US and NATO because he's on the record as being anti-communist but then he um, he allies with Mao oh. who is also anti-soviet but you know holding to the same kind of agrarian principles that'll play well at home with his increasingly impoverished people because he's taken all the money and you know flying concords to paris to just buy a new leopard skin pillbox hat
0: but but the the U.S. government was also pouring money into Zaire, weren't they, in order to fight the Soviets? On that's, the... that's right. Yeah.
1: So he's like so he's like Mister Pan African, but he's got the support of
0: the Johnson and then Nixon administrations. He's like Ceausescu or or Tito, kind of situating himself, playing
1: both sides, yeah. right? And it's weird because he's doing it from Sub-Saharan Africa, very far from his allies in America or in. Maoist China, or oddly for a pro, you know, I mean, he, you know, he's a he's a authoritarian at heart, so you shouldn't be surprised that he's a, you know, he's close uh, economic allies with apartheid South Africa, although it sure doesn't look good on paper uh, with Israel, for example, which would um, you know raise the eyebrows of some of his northern African neighbors.
0: You know what? It was highly Selassie, I think, that was influencing everybody in this the most. You know, he was. Sort of behind that pan african same same exact period of time that's right, and
1: uh I mean Selassie's a little earlier, but you know that's a vision of Africa that was never colonized except for a brief italian adventure right you know so it's a, it's Lol. A, it's a <laughs> thing so there's some symbolic pride to it, and we should we should get to that because that's that's the whole reason why he wants a space program is because that's prestige and the future and that's the same reason why uh he meets with don king about finding a place to put and muhammad ali george foreman match. this would obviously be the biggest heavyweight boxing match of the early
0: 70s which was a time when the heavyweight championship of the world was still a major social sporting event
1: no bigger sports event really and like two larger than life i mean muhammad ali the the great um Mouth of the twentieth century, and then you know his perfect counterpart, George Foreman, who is not the cuddly man of our era, the cuddly family man of our era, but just a menacing, a tight-lipped bruiser with little to say. You know, um, you know, the perfect counterpoint to Ali's agility and
0: uh, and uh, braggadocio. But there was no bigger sports figure than Muhammad Ali in the at this point. Hard to say there's a bigger cultural figure, white or black. I mean,
1: he's he's a colossus, and he's missed he's missed the best years of his career due to his um his ban for his opposition to the Vietnam War. But he's back. He's um, still uh, apparently, uh, you know, in belt-worthy form. And everybody wants an Ali Foreman match, but uh, nobody can figure out how to make the money work. Don King says, I can get you $5 million if you go with me, Ali. Because King's still a young young hotshot promoter, not, not part of anybody's usual team. But he says he can get Ali $5 million. And Ali says, for $5 million, set it up. But he can't find any place in like America or the developed world, that will do it for that. He needs some place that will help subsidize it and do it on the cheap. And he turns to the kleptocrats of Central Africa.
0: And you've seen the movie, right? You you saw the, the documentary. The documentary, When We Were Kings. Yeah.
1: It's fantastic. It is great. It's like footage that was taken at the time, you know, contemporary interviews with all the, you know, who's there? George Plimpton or Norman Mailer or Gore yeah. Vidal or somebody. Like That's all these, great. you know, all these people at the time just loved heavyweight boxing and uh, all these period interviews that were never seen until the mid 90s when this documentary came out and won the oscar and of course ever you know everyone in africa loves ali you know he's he's a symbol of the you know the pride and the dignity of the african diaspora you know children trail after him wherever he goes everybody hates foreman who's playing up to his reputation
0: you know i'm only one degree of separation away from the rumble in the jungle uh how does that work because you <clears> saw <throat> the documentary, yeah, me too. No, no, no. I'm never sure about how that degree of separation thing works. I might have to do an episode on uh, on that. But um, but my dad's best friend, uh, Jack Tanner. It's already two degrees. <laughs> oh, is that two degrees? Uh, <laughs> my dad's best friend, Jack Tanner, was representing the Puyallup tribal leader Robert Satyacum. Three during the well no 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 the the, the tanner's involved tanner tanner goes and satyakam who later on became a very very problematic figure at the time was already a problematic figure although he didn't satyakam i think later on had some um had some other crimes that are that were less palatable but at the time he was like involved in creating yeah, he had he had a bunch of graft and but he was part of the indian was rights movement yeah But he was, and so he was wanted by the FBI, but also, you know, I don't know. There was a a lot of, there was a lot of shady dealings and Tanner was his lawyer. And at a certain point they had to get out of the country. And so, uh, because they were being chased by the FBI. And so Satyakum and Tanner put a bunch of cash in a paper bag and they got on an airplane and they flew to Thailand, I think, and they traded the cash for a bunch of rubies. And then they ended up at the rumble in the jungle. (laughs) Trying to escape the FBI, It's like a heist movie that ends in <laughs> a prize fight. It was incredible, and they were both there. And they, you know, Tanner used to tell me the story of of the Rumble in the Jungle, you know, firsthand. I, 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 I he know, saw I just, the fight. He was in the stands. He was there. Yeah. Um. So I don't know how many degrees of separation that that puts me from the Rumble in the Jungle, but if, if Tanner goes, it's just two. The thing is, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that story has ever been. told. It will never be told because all these guys are dead now. Um. Although no Saitama is still alive. Once you write a book, you know what I'm going to go interview him. Is he in prison? No. Um, I'm going to I'm going to interview Satayakum and we're going to put this story into film. This
1: is going to be a this is this is a ten part true crime podcast. This is going to be your first true crime podcast, and you're going to make your millions.
0: Yeah, here, here.
1: Um, oh wait a
0: minute! And the and the fight lives up to its. No, this Robert Satayakum is. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Long dead. Uh, yeah, he died in 1991, but his son is still alive.
1: But so. what a get it would be if you could, um, if you could interview him <laughs> after his 1991 death. Uh, the fight lives up to its reputation. You know, it's the famous one where Ollie, um, does his rope-a-dope where he like lets Foreman tire, you know, Foreman's got like three inches of reach on, on him or something. Right. Massive so, fist. So Ollie just kind of dance doesn't, he's not dancing. He's kind of tiring him, him out. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's using the ropes. He's ducking everything. And, uh, you know, in the late rounds, Foreman's all tuckered out. And even though he was a huge favorite, like Ali can, Ali uh, wins by knockout, I think. Anyway, um, Kaiser runs into a German businessman who's, who was kind of instrumental in helping, you know, bring the fight bear and all the infrastructure. Um, and the fight was, you know, you know, Mamutu poured in his people's money and it was a big thing on the world stage that made him look fancy, which is all he ever wanted. Right. Um, so it's a big hit for him. And this German businessman meets Kaiser and says, Look, you should talk to Mobutu. Like, Zaire's perfect for this. And um, in December of 1975, Mobutu agrees to give OTRAG uh, 100,000 square kilometers of huh? southern Zairean wilderness, um, like four times the size of Belgium, which hmm. used to be the landlord. Uh, and now this is all just OTRAGs to do with as they will. And Presumably not a single living soul lived there already. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the local residents were kind of— I mean, all, so mostly what they need is this single plateau rising out of the jungle, which looks to them. They've surveyed, it and it seems perfect for rocket launches. And they open what they call the Bavarian Embassy there, which is a full little mini town of uh, German engineers with slide rules in their pockets— and their little uh, beer canteen, right. you know, they got a little beer garden there in the jungle. Pretzel bakery, and they've got a pretzel bakery <laughs> and a uh, tuba band and lederhosen <laughs> and, a, <laughs> and a, <laughs> outside the post office, um, they even buy a bunch of old like BOAC air, air, commercial aircraft, and they they start up what they call, um, uh, you know, Otrag Airlines or something. You know, they they set up their own little mini airline to shuttle them back and forth. You know, they clear jungle and clear an airstrip, and a lot of uh you know, a lot of infrastructure goes into launching a rocket program from just the wilds of Southern Zaire.
0: You got to figure out how to make concrete.
1: There's stuff like that. So when they do their first launch, the scaffolding of the rocket is just like wooden trunks and branches from local trees. Right. You know, like, like you might see on the outside of a, of a building project in Manila. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're launching rockets from it. Um, In May, 1977, they have their first test. It, the rocket just looks like a big stainless steel pencil, six meters tall. Uh, and
0: that's not very tall.
1: No, it's a sm- small, why does it have to be six meters? What is that? It's, it's 15 Eight, or 20 feet? 18 feet. I mean, it's not, you're not getting to Mars, but this is a proof of concept.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it feels like a big model rocket though. It is a big model rocket. Oh, okay. that's, that's
1: exactly <laughs> what it is. They're testing out this component system for the first time. I see. And it's a big success.
0: Oh, it does! I thought you were going to say, it starts an enormous fire. <laughs> and it
1: kills millions of people and leads to a massive civil war in Central Africa. No, that could all easily have happened. But the test is a big success. Mobutu takes note. Everybody takes note. Because, you know, Mobutu wasn't just interested in the prestige. Like, if this actually becomes a space program, think yeah. about what it would mean yeah. for a developing African, I mean, not democracy, but but right. nation— Nation state to po- have its post-colonial own post-colonial nation. Post-colonial state. nation to have its own space program. Yeah, you could launch spy satellites. Oh yeah, you could keep an eye on whatever the Russian. What's the name of the Russian? Thi- the uh, so the communists in uh, Angola to right to his south. You know he's got a he's got a burgeoning communist movement to right to his south. And so hey, with spy satellites, I can keep an eye on not winter U- mm. UNESCO
0: UNESCO. No, it wasn't UNESCO. <laughs> <laughs> UNESCO was a, uh, it was SWAPO. SWAPO, is that right? Is that what I'm thinking of? SWAPO. Yeah.
1: I'm going to Google.
0: Well, no, that was the Namibian. That's what, uh, yeah. I'm going to Google Angola. No, it was the MPLA. Communist No, UNITA. UNITA. There we
1: go. The UNITA biscuit. That's right. UNITA, right? Right. Yeah, because Johnny Unitas was a. um, A big supporter. (laughs) Yeah, Marxist freedom fighter in Southern Africa. So so, Mobutu thinks like this is huge for his regional power. Um, unfortunately, everybody else is keeping an eye on it too. Um, the Soviets, the U.S. does not want this tin pot guy to have rockets, obviously. Right. Because you're just one step away from... From ballistic missiles, yeah, right? from
0: menacing uh, South Africa, or
1: and even Mobutu never says that. You know, he, he never says I want a weapons program, but he does say I want a, like I want a surveillance program. Uh, the Soviets hate it because you know he's going to be he's he's a pro Western influence, threatening, um, you know the the possibility of global revolution in Southern Africa.
0: Right, we have. We should say that this was that that post-colonial Af- Africa was a real chessboard of the of the superpowers during the Cold War. And which they, government
1: is our puppet, and which government's their puppet?
0: Yeah, and they, they they almost certainly did not want any one of those governments to actually attain any to attain orbit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Worst case scenario. So, are you saying that they were that spies were throwing spanners into the works?
1: Yeah, and literally, I mean, I don't know about actual sabotage, but a lot of. Uh, um... Disinformation. What's the word uh, for like Cold War era? Uh, um, yeah, counterintelligence uh, kind of uh, like the uh, the Soviet propaganda machine started announcing that Germany, in effect, now had a space program because all these guys were Bavarian. And you know, if Germany is now launching spy satellites, this actually goes against the oh. de- the demilitarization of post Nazi Germany, the Brussels Agreement of 1954.
0: They're appealing to the UN to yeah, shut it
1: down. They're saying they're saying, "Hey NATO, what's this deal? Like Germany can't be." Launching rockets, you remember last time Germans had a <laughs> rocket button, right? Um, and this is actually quite successful because nobody on the planet earth wants Mobutu Sese Seiko to have you know it's 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 analogous to Kim il-sung's uh missile tests and nuclear tests. like nobody on either side wants that guy to have a
0: button. Well, and also, yeah, Pia mood, Pina mood, Pinamund. God, I, why can I not pronounce that word? It's my
1: favorite kind of small batch ice cream.
0: Um it's uh it's actually in East Germany, so so we couldn't have they could the Bavarians couldn't have been launching rockets from there. They were already They were there were East Germans over there. And
1: Germany didn't have any other uh warm weather uh colonies because well they were all, World War II. Right. Um but luckily Mobutu was there. And the you know, and Russia starts the Soviets start spreading rumors that um this is gonna be a weapons program, which makes Everybody more nervous.
0: Gaddafi is now not into it.
1: Gaddafi is going to come into the story in a second. Of course, of course. So there's a a second test, which is successful. And uh, Mobutu is now happy enough that he actually travels to the Katanga province for the third test. um, And is proudly there as the rocket launches and immediately nosedives back to Earth. A huge, embarrassing disaster. And Mobutu is humiliated. Yeah, Yeah, he's... uh, He's been made a fool of. He cancels funding for the project. He tells them they can't have their, you know, access anymore. Oh, I wish he'd gone to the first launch. <laughs> he'd be so he'd still be the president of Zaire today. There wouldn't be two Congos, which is confusing. Zaire
0: would have a moon colony.
1: I still feel one of the Congos should have to rename themselves, not for any kind of ideological reasons but just because we now have the Democratic Republic of the Congo and the Republic of the Congo.
0: Right. Well, this is the Macedonian problem, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Everybody's fighting over the historical name. But in this case, I mean, the Republic of Congo, it implies they're not democratic. They've, oh. got, they've got a neighbor that's, it would be like if Canada was called the Democratic United States of America. Yeah. Would we Ooh. put up with that?
0: Diff. I mean, it would be true, but, <laughs> but we wouldn't love it. It could have been the former Congolese <laughs> Republic of the Congo. <laughs> yeah, I love the FCRC.
1: Uh, and unfortunately, I mean, now that you mentioned, like, was there Soviet, uh, like, was there sabotage going on shortly after this? After this rocket exploded for the first time, a boat accident killed a lot of the leading scientists on a, on a local river. Uh-huh.
0: Boat accident. So
1: I'm not going to say that this was a no. operation. A,
0: a, a boat. That this is no boating accident.
1: <laughs> the whole thing falls apart um, it just within a matter of a couple of years, and Zaire's space program. Is no more. What, oh. what happens to, to Lutz and his new wife? He's got a he's got a new young wife. I think he's been married twice, but he's got a new young wife named Susie.
0: Is she Congolese?
1: No. Oh. She's she's um extremely, extremely extremely German. Every dictator in the world now wants to hang out with these guys.
0: Oh wow, of course. Because
1: this is the guy that gave Mabutu a rocket program. Yeah, start a rocket program for me. So um, you know, he's he's staying at Saddam Hussein's guest palace. And he's, uh, you know, Imelda Marcos throws a parade for him. Uh, And most prominently, Gaddafi just wants to have this guy in house.
0: This is before all these dictators precipitated, like, famines all around the world. And it was still pretty fashionable to hang out with them.
1: Yeah, all these these dictators, the main thing you knew about them was— how eccentrically and lavishly they dressed.
0: Yeah, they all drove Mercedes 600s.
1: They, you know, Emil Marcos had 8,000 pairs of shoes yeah. and, and, um, fun times. Mobutu had all the leopard print. I mean, it really probably honestly helped minimize their atrocities, which is a very <laughs> smart move then. <laughs> sure. If you're going to kill a, an ethnic minority, like have a big fun shoe closet. That's what Ellen DeGeneres did. Ooh. No, too soon. She only, she probably just has like
0: two pairs of Adidas. Tell me who got the closest to having a space program? He spent the most
1: time in Libya for 28 years. For the next 28 years, Lutz and Susie are guests of Muammar Gaddafi. And in fact, they are his only white friends. <laughs> like they're his only Western friends, but he like hangs out with them because they tell him, yes, we're going to build you your Volks rocket. You know, you uh, this is going to be a big symbol for Libya. Um, is this,
0: is this kind of like, uh, how Sony, uh, like signed a contract with you not to do another game show, (laughs) uh, rather than like sign a contract with you to do a game show. They just made sure that you weren't doing another game show.
1: I wonder if that's the thing. You put Kaiser in a nice guest house and you don't care if the rocket works. Sure.
0: There's no Sudanese rocket program in that case.
1: (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Gaddafi openly w- wants, um, unlike Mobutu, he openly wants ballistic missiles that can hit Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Sure. That's all he wants.
0: And this was his big time, right? This was his his big uh, PLO. This hosting is yeah, time. this is
1: early 80s. So the U.S. hasn't really, you know, Reagan hasn't bombed him yet, and so you know, the for, you know, he's just some he's some Mobutu like funny developing world character to the Kaiser to the Kaisers. It's not like they're hanging out with um with Hitler, which you know. Honestly, would not be a deal killer for them, hmm. but you know they love him. They're always talking about, oh yeah, he was so nice in the early days. You you never seen somebody with looked so good in his starts uniform. It was like a Greek god. Like mm. Susie's always to this day mooning about about what a what a handsome specimen young young Momar was. Greek god. The young is that not what you think when you see
0: <laughs> Colonel Qaddafi? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe maybe young Qaddafi was, was isn't, he like, isn't
1: he a Greek god with acne scars? Or am I just picturing all these developing world dictators as having bad
0: skin? I mean, young young Gaddafi, sure he's got he's got a lot of charisma, sideburns, and uh, he's got a penetrating glare.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at pictures, and he really does. I mean, he really is um, kind of aging rock star in his later days, with kind of the unwise facial hair and the obviously dyed kind of mop, and the
0: he looks like an big angry sunglasses. Elliot Gould. <laughs> But when he's young, he's, you know, leading with his chin. I mean. Mm -hmm. His chin is always way out front. Look at that. It really is. You're right. He's got his, you know, he figured out how to take a good photograph. And I guess maybe
1: Susie just likes a man in uniform, you know, because he's always got, he's always got all the medals that he gave himself.
0: You know, Mussolini was good at that too. You put your chin out.
1: Hey, uh, uh. But Mussolini just kind of looks like an angry shopkeeper telling you he's going to, you know, in Naples telling you he's going to cut off your credit. Mm. I don't know.
0: Gaddafi doesn't look so good at the end.
1: That's what I'm saying. This is like his dissolute, um, you know, reunion tour photos.
0: Was this before he had an all-female bodyguard retinue? <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, he had it. He had it all figured out.
1: So you know, we actually had dictators as Bond villains before we had billionaires as Bond villains. And uh, so that you know, the, so 28 years they're unsuccessful in building a Volks rocket.
0: And Do they try?
1: Yeah, I mean they they resist Gaddafi's overt um, could this be a ballistic missile kind of stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But they spend 20, you know, this is this is money for what he believes in, which is his component lego system of rocket design which he thinks is the future of space. Um, of course then in 86, uh, the US bombs Libya. Apparently it's um you know, we saw so off we don't talk about this a lot, but apparently really hard on on uh, Gaddafi's psyche. Really a rough time for him. Well, it killed his niece or daughter or something. Oh, somebody. yeah, you're right. Yeah. I guess Susie says it really changes him. And at some point she remembers, I had to tell him, Momar, I might lo- love you, but I don't like you anymore.
0: Oh, Susie. That's always a hard
1: moment in your Ouch. in your friendship with, a, with an African dictator. I didn't realize
0: that this was also a YA novel.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the interview with Susie I read really leaves it unclear as to whether or not- They were boinking? Yeah, she's shacking up with Gaddafi while- Sounds like um, they were. While uh, Lutz is in the rocket shed.
0: So Lutz never made a rocket that went even into the lower atmosphere. He
1: never did. And in the year two thousand, having lost his, you know, and uh, you know, Israel, much less the, you know, the air powers, much less Israel, are not crazy about Qaddafi having this program anyway. So there is tons of global opposition, as you can imagine, to him trying to build rockets for the new, the new. NATO boogeyman.
0: Right. Mo- Mossad was probably Stuxnetting the heck out of all <laughs> of their, every time they hooked up a PC, it was like, Bzzzt.
1: In the year 2000, with, uh, the, with Qaddafi's, uh, days kind of numbered, uh, he and Susie decide to leave. They retire to their own island in the Marshalls, uh, oh. in Micronesia. Who's paying for their island? Yeah, maybe they, uh, they got a nice stipend to get the heck out of Tripoli, I guess. Okay. Um, where where they open a, a guest house, you know, you,
0: you for, Gu- for seven hundred bucks,
1: seven hundred guest house for seven hundred bucks a night, you can stay in their their, you know, kind of luxurious cabanas, and and Susie will make you lemon cake. Uh, they by all accounts spend most of their days naked, um, kind of mystifying the locals.
0: But now in their seventies.
1: Yep, the, exactly who you think would be naked in Micronesia: seventy year old Germans, <laughs> S- saggy leathery seventy <laughs> year old Germans.
0: I mean, they the, in Micronesia. They are causing a lot less. They're a lot less dangerous than they would be anywhere else.
1: The president of the Marshall Islands does not want them to build Lego rockets. Luckily, right. so they can live in happy retirement, where their hobbies uh, apparently include, troublingly, in the Guardian profile I read, just an amazing collection of Third Reich memorabilia. <laughs> Another huge shot. <laughs> <laughs> like they literally have oh, uh, what they claim to be a framed original Hitler up in the up in the living room next to a Matisse and a uh, like a Chagall or a Renoir or something. Chagall's oh. probably a bad call. It wouldn't be a Jewish artist. Probably a Renoir.
0: But they uh, they had an original
1: Hitler. They have a, an original Hitler.
0: But and they also have a they also have a, a like an impressionist art collection. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, d- very depraved <sighs> oh, art. Wait a minute, where did they get those paintings? <laughs> yeah, mm. whose, whose
1: paintings were those really? Mm. Uh, no, I don't think the art was Nazi, except for the Hitler, which was as Nazi as art can get. Sure. Uh, also, um, in the Guardian piece, they complain that their signed Mein Kampf has recently gone missing. Someone stole their
0: their signed. Copy Someone of. in Micronesia was like. I'm gonna use this as firewood,
1: I bet it got out of the country, and Kaiser eventually died in 2017 having never brought um, you know Mobutu's vision of a of an African space program to pass
0: is Susie still alive? I believe so and more more to the point is she single
1: <laughs> you know this um it's tempting to end there on such a delightful bone mo yeah, but I you know, I do want to mention kind of the 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 modern reflection of this, which is you know nineteen the late seventies when he's building trying to build space rockets for Africa, it predates what we now call Afrofuturism,
0: right? Which is a whole a whole movement, but it's more of a cultural movement rather than philosophy.
1: And yeah, it's not it's not actually um, pouring tech money into into you know
0: space programs.
1: Yeah, black owned IPOs or you know, which maybe it should be, but it's more of a yet, but it's more of a philosophy and a sensibility that. you know, what if, basically, what if science fiction were black? And, you know, I think maybe to a white audience, it's tricky to understand why that's a thing. But imagine if you've been othered by hundreds of years of science fiction. You know, if, if the message of all the sci-fi you saw is the face of the future is this white, macho, colonizer, He-Man, Flash Gordon type, you know, dealing with the, the loinclothed whoever's on Mongo or Mars... Or, you know, maybe even worse, you know, you're kind of your Heinlein crew-cutted technocrat with a slide rule. Um, the future has always belonged to white the, people. The white all,
0: imagination. In all
1: these visions. Yeah, because we, we colonized the the genre just like we colonized
0: everything else. Well what, what the wonderful thing about the early years of tech is it 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 did offer the the possibility of of being completely colorblind, right? It's a it's the ultimate um meritocracy, because it's all happening you know but behind in, a race, a in a raceless space raceless space yeah, your your avatar could be any color. and there are so many black nerds that um you know that now that social media has become the future of tech right it's a it became a different and much more complicated space but but i uh, I feel like the the kind of uh, inherent color blindness of early tech really attracted a lot of people from all, you know, from every walk of life to kind of say like, no, I belong here too.
1: And it took advantage of an existing kind of black nerd culture, which is, you know, a story that's not often told, but um, but goes back to, you know, first of all, uh, you know, generations of people who, you know, who, who wanted, who liked the, um, the rule breaking and the kind of the open frontier nature of sci-fi, you know, which right. is escape, you know, it's escape from, from into superpowers or the solar system, but it's also an escape from a history of jails and auction blocks and overseers. And, you know, it's a future where anything can happen, but more to the point, I was reading an interview with Samuel Delaney, like kind of the, the first African-American great science fiction author. And he pointed out that it was like, it was what was in front of him because it was cheap entertainment. Like back when. Pulp
0: Pulp magazine. Yeah.
1: Back when a, a young black audience was, you know, maybe going to be guaranteed to be poorer than their white equivalent, their entertainment was going to be cheaper. And as a result, it was pulp magazines and comic books. Right. And it created a generation of nerds just because all that stuff was a nickel,
0: you know? I can't wait for a black space program, and I'm betting that their chief engineers are not Germans. Wakanda forever. And that concludes the Zaire Space Program. Entry 1455.PS11516. Certificate number 48059 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that space programs continue to be run by German engineers and that social media continues to document all of humanity's crimes, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project. You can find Ken Jennings tweeting away on Twitter at Ken Jennings. And I am, uh, I, 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 think primarily, uh, at my own Patreon at patreon.com slash John Roderick. Um, you can email us at the omnibus project at gmail.com and more to the point, as Ken just said, you can support our show financially at patreon.com slash omnibus project.
1: Thank you, by the way, to those of you who have, who have done so.
0: And our patrons at patreon.com slash project have uh, a whole panoply of, uh, of extra benefits. Ken is ripping some paper on some physical mail we recently received at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. This is uh, This is our mailing address, and you can send us Postcards and packages. We get wonderful things. What did we get today,
1: Ken? Here's a postcard from Ari. It's addressed, I assumed it would be addressed to me because it's a picture of the Mormon Temple in Nauvoo, Illinois.
0: I've been there. Have you been there? I You've have. been there
1: too. Yeah, I have. Yeah, it, but it's a, but it's actually addressed to John and Ken.
0: I wonder how many podcast hosts have been to Nauvoo. Probably all of them. You think so? It's required. Before you begin... You think, you think Joe Rogan has been to the to the Mormon temple in Nauvoo? Uh,
1: yeah, they confiscated his vape. Though. It's beautiful there.
0: Really, bucolic. bucolic. Uh,
1: yeah, it's nice. Uh, he was not there, however, to enjoy the Mormon pioneer history stuff, although there is plenty oh, of Wait that. a minute,
0: I'm asking you if you've been there. Your grandfather was defenestrated for your great-great-great-grandfather.
1: <laughs> in nearby Carthage, yeah. that's right. Um, they came to hunt for geodes. Did you know Nauvoo is a good place to look for geodes?
0: No. Maybe, How would I have
1: known? Maybe that? that's why Joseph Smith, uh, chose it. Um, today they went to a place where everyone goes for geodes, says Ari, but he has a hot tip on a new site tomorrow, private property where they might have bowling ball sized
0: geodes. I kind of want an update. Did he tell us, did he give us the address? Uh,
1: no, it's a secret. Uh, we, we can't announce it. No. Um. But we could know it.
0: You and I can I hope
1: we get, it. Yeah, so Ari, please send us an update and let us know if you found the mother load of geodes. We will not reveal the location. We, we also received... The package I was opening here is from Monica. And there appears to be... Is there no note? Oh, there is a note inside. It's a book of dirty cartoons.
0: <laughs> I wonder which one of us is going to go home with this.
1: Uh, we mentioned... Um, we mentioned Tawana Bibles in which show? Tijuana Bibles? Oh, I can't remember. Chick Tracks, probably. Chick Tracks, almost yeah. certainly. They were the you know there were these little mimeographed comic strips where your favorite cartoon and uh, Sunday funnies characters get up to
0: right to like very explicit hijinks. The internet version of it is the is all the Simpsons Rule Forty Two sites.
1: This is fantastic. Monica has a. Uh, noted in the past that she has seen every episode of Jeopardy. Is that even possible?
0: All the way back to pre-Alex F- days?
1: Fleming era. She used to watch oh. it in the 60s and then when it came back in the 80s she was a new wife and mom always preparing dinner so she always had it on. She even watched it if we were out of town just like Rain Man. Whoa. But she says her streak has been broken. Oh no. Because um, because she couldn't stand
0: LeVar Burton.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, NBC, NBC fought with Comcast so she lost her feet and then the affiliate Preempted. She must be from the Twin Cities because uh, she said it got preempted for the Derek uh, Chauvin trial. Oh, sure. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Chauvin. Who cares? That guy doesn't deserve to have his name spelled right. Um, she also, she also says she listens to our podcast every day. Every day? Do you think she breaks each show up into three pieces?
0: Three and a half pieces? Maybe or- maybe she's, she's listening to back catalog. You know, people like to listen to the episodes over and over because there's so much to glean.
1: And then she said, whoa, sent us this extremely... Explicit book about Betty Boop and um, and Dagwood Bumstead um, getting it on. Hello. So this will this will be something for you. <laughs> she also sent a cash donation. What if I get the cash and you get the dirty pictures of, of Blondie?
0: No, those th- th- that
1: looks like two crisp twenty dollar bills. You might want to see what Dagwood is packing before you turn down that offer. Hmm.
0: Well, I mean, I'm gonna get this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not taking that home. Yeah. Oh yeah! Look, it's it's really happening in here. Yeah, every, Flash Gordon, yeah, Dick p- Tracy,
1: putting the Flash back in Flash Gordon, putting the Dick back in Dick Tracy, putting the Wood back in Dagwood Bumstead. What's wonderful? It's got it all.
0: Is all of the all of the heroines, uh, all of the love interests here? They all have that great, uh, like super short flapper haircut, yeah. which I find very appealing.
1: Well, this is right up your alley. Then I hope you. I hope you enjoy.
0: Oh, well, the Marx Brothers, yikes! Whoa, really? That's not something I wanted to see. Is Margaret Dumont
1: <sighs> the uh, the love interest?
0: Uh, let's see here. Yeah, no.
1: That's delightful, Monica. That is not at all what we expected to receive from somebody who's seen every Jeopardy. But um, but I don't think John's going to get to the rest of the intro.
0: No. Uh, uh, um, um, um. Uh, the only thing I had left to say was, uh, seek out other futurelings wherever futurelings are sold, like on Facebook or Reddit. Discord. Listeners,
1: from our vantage point, in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Hopefully the Wakandan space program got us all off the planet in time. Hopefully the catastrophe never comes at all. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.